the variable reward of the salt machine, which is one of the, in the history of capitalism, one of the greatest machines ever to extract money from people. Like it's, it's not even close. 80% of Las Vegas revenue is from slot machines. And now we hold it in our hands because instead of the variable reward is, I check my phone, it's like, like how many times have you guys done this? You open your phone, you check your Gmail. Did anybody email me? Not that it matters. You check your Telegram, you check your WhatsApp, you, you check your notifications on Twitter. And then you go, oh, let me go to Drudge Report. Let, let me see what news happened. And since the last five minutes I checked, right? It's the same dynamic. It's a variable reward. So with that thing in your pocket, you're like, you're going up against the world's highest paid engineers, UX designers, and behavioral psychologists. And that's why when that thing's in your pocket, you're not performing on cognitive tasks. Thoughts? All right, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys here today. Boys, welcome back, Jack. Well, no, actually, Jack, you were here last week, and you also had a birthday. That's what I was supposed to say. Happy birthday, uh, dude. Happy you, birthday man. to Jack. You doxed Cheers, yourself. You're, you're, yeah, man. I ain't letting the world know. Yeah, Trung, I've asked Trung at least three, four times. I've tried to sneak that one in, like Yo, I'm going to book a flight for him nothing, or something. Dude. You ain't sending me nothing, dude. <laughs> We've definitely probably recorded on your birthday and you just never told us he <laughs> keeps a secret but uh yeah we got a lot to talk about today but jack how was the birthday mate you did anything fun great yeah yeah we had a bunch of people around loads of kids it was like a one-to-one adult to kid ratio that's the stage of my life i'm at right now i saw it that time. you know how you go up and down with the dad, birthdays? beer in one hand baby in the other yes, I exactly i still love to ask jack about this jack you know the phases of birthdays right 20s early 20s you want to blow it out you want to go to vegas you want to go to beat that Pub and golf I, yo, for me. That was yeah, my first. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pub golf. I was like first Wait, five you, years. Did you ever dress up like? Oh golf? yeah, 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 yeah. Properly. Wait, what is this? What is this thing? Oh, d- pub golf. So you basically um, you go to eighteen different pubs, like eighteen, 18 holes, <laughs> and you have predetermined uh, drinks at each pub. So one drink at each. We used to do these real like we used to have very complicated. It got more and more complicated over time. So. You would have a caddy, so you would have to monitor somebody else, and you would you do minutes would be a par, so you'd have like eight minutes for par in the pub, and anything you come under par would go this on your scorecard. This is so British. Yeah. This is so. Oh, ugly. it's incredibly British. British yeah. Were okay. you wearing Were you wearing some crazy outfits? Let me. Yeah, the flat cap, the you know the uh, what do you call the the golf the pattern, vest? the the diamond the diamond check pattern. Oh you my. Wear golf gear when you do it, yeah. Is this so everyone knows that the, when you roll in, the bartender does yeah, all like a bunch know, of idiots? Yeah. Okay. yeah, bunch of pranks. That's incredible. So you did that for a number of years, you said, I think you said five. And then, you know, you get to like late 20s, early 30s, you start carrying less less while your birthday. Uh, but I guess now it's nice, right, to celebrate. You, it's mm-hmm. a reason to get everybody together. So it's funny how there's like this weird year shape of carrying about all birthdays. Yeah, I guess so, you yeah. start hitting milestones, right? Like when you hit 40. You yeah, more bang, significant numbers, out. yeah. Anyways, oh, wait, how old were you this weekend? 35. 35, yeah. Smashing it. Well done, mate. You made it to 35. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not dead or in jail, so you did all exactly. right, man. Yeah. I'm doing all right. <laughs> um, all right, well, should we get on with it, boys? Uh, there was a meme of the week, but I just realized that because I've got a new Mac here, I didn't give permission, you know, on system preferences. Didn't give permission to share my you screen. You didn't permission yourself. Yeah, I didn't permission myself, and I have to restart Zoom if uh, do we that. have to do that. So I can either share it with you guys or... Uh, Not uh, funny guys... enough for that. Yes, yeah, let's, let's, let's leave it. All right. Anyway, but the, the joke was that Jack and I both shared the same clip in our group chat, not realizing uh, that he had already sent it before. And anyway, they're both British. They're both yeah, British they're jokes. Yeah, very, very British joke as well. All right, so boys, we've got a lot to talk about today. Jack's going to give us an NFT update a little bit later. Uh, some cool stuff that's been going on there. George Max, Kale versus Coke, cocaine phone, and Arnold Schwarzenegger breakdown. But we'll start off with our boy, Davey Dave Trader. Portnoy boy, <laughs> buys back Barstool for $1. This is incredible. I mean, one of the best deals in history, Trunk. Do you want to tell us the breakdown, mate? This is, okay, I want to get instant reactions, though. So below, when you saw this happen and you're like wrapping your head around, oh my God, he just got 100% of Barstool back for basically a dollar, right? At this point, it's just like, it's a ceremonial figure. What were your thoughts? My thought was, this is such a gangster move. Oh, and yeah. Had that. Obviously, you dig into it. The, 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 
the upside of Barstool is is probably less than it would be because uh, they can't do their own gambling app and they can't they probably can't take on a lot of gambling advertisers for X amount of time, which is big money. So the company itself may have been capped. Davy Davy Portnoy, who's already cleared a hundred mil. So let me let me actually walk through. Uh, let me get your is first it, impressions quickly, yeah, and then we'll walk through it. So, Bilal, what did you think? I was the same, because uh, from what I understood, they sold it for hundreds of millions, maybe 500 in the past. You, you can confirm that after. But um, just to already get that win, and then come back around where he's probably, you know, he was probably operating independently enough, but there's always that thing. Anyone we know who sold a company is like, oh, yeah, I'm having a good time inside a HubSpot. I'm having a good time inside of whatever. And you know, deep down, they're just vesting out and it's understandable. But after that, you know, for him to be able to take it back, take full control uh, is pretty incredible. And um, yeah, like you said, he's not going to be able to sell it, I guess, because he's going to have to give 50% of that to Penn in the future. So that is kind of an interesting angle as well, where he's going to have to basically pass it down to his kids or something like that. But yeah, Jack, what about you, mate? Yeah, same. I mean, perfect upside in every scenario, this really, right? It's like you get the ability to undo something which based on his reaction seems like he's very happy to undo like being the things that made Barstool what it was and probably made it enjoyable to or maximum maximally enjoyable to work on were all being stifled under the new terms and conditions yeah it feels like you got complete life-changing generational wealth out of that acquisition and now you can just go back to doing whatever you want to do it's like it's the best of both worlds it's the best yeah so fair play yeah trung what about you mate you you got more yeah i can break break down that numbers for you guys so so the deal well i want to say this first i want to preface this i think we collectively always talk about content and commerce right we're like we're like oh my god you do great media you just shove it down the distribution like this is jack's mo he this is he knows this I'm beginning to revisit it, right? I think we were a little bit too pom-poms out on the model. And I think two things happened. The two examples we always use is Mr. Beast and Barstool. And in the past month, we saw Mr. Beast is now suing Beastburger. Beastburger is suing Mr. Beast. That relationship has broken up. We d- we discussed that and said, okay, well, you know, freshly cooked food, especially hamburger, which doesn't travel well, that leaves a lot of space for problems to happen. Whereas Beast and Bulls is chocolate bar business easy stack it in a Walmart, right? But then you look at this Barstool deal and it looked like the biggest home run ever. So three years ago, Penn Gaming, which owns uh, casinos and betting apps and gambling licenses for sports, they're trying to cash in on this massive legalization of sports gambling gold rush that happened 2019-ish. So that period was this big gold rush for everyone to get in on the legalization of sports gambling. And just to give you an idea, like DraftKings at FanDuel, I'm sure a lot of listeners have used it. I'm sure you guys have used it. Those are the big, uh, those are the big guns in the game. And people have tried to enter like Fox with Fox Sports. They actually released Fox Bets, which was a, a betting app, but they recently shut it down. Just to give you an idea of like, it might not be so easy to break into this game. So, I'll add one last point to that is I think we're a little bit too bullish on how easy it is to do content and commerce and obviously super regulated industries maybe not so easy. Uh, Bilal, you kind of alluded to it. Like Portnoy has been involved in a couple of controversies uh, including a hit piece from Insider and one from New York Times and this actually materially impacted uh, Penn Gaming which is a publicly traded company. They had to get licenses from states and part of the process of getting ga- uh, 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 gaming licenses is the the regulators look at all the key players. So I'll say this before we keep on talking about the deal, but what do you guys think about that? Is like, were we too general on the content and commerce? And if you have good media, you can do anything through that distribution, uh, as in maybe regulated, uh, regulated spaces isn't as doable and fresh foods. Like there's, there's some nuance here. It's just not that simple. Try. I want to get Jack's take on this, but I just wanted to add one other piece there was um, from my understanding, ESPN, the, what kind of triggered it was ESPN um, have said to, was it, uh, what's the company that bought Fangio, uh, that bought uh, Portnoy's business? Penn. Penn, sorry. 
And they, they were going to use them for their sports book or something, right? Yeah, so we should talk about it. Okay. J just to okay, mention that, because I think that was relevant let me, here. Let me because, run it through super quickly yeah. then, right? I, I'm going out of order, so apologies to the listeners that are just laughing. They're probably still laughing about our earlier jokes, but now that you're done laughing, well, let me explain exactly the contours of this deal. So Penn Gaming, which we just described, got into partnership with Barcelona Sports three years ago. They paid 550 mil-ish in two transactions over the past three years. So the main purpose of that was to get in front of Barcelona's massive audience of sports fans. And that uh, essentially what's going on with this deal is that ESPN, as Bilal mentioned, so the number one player in sports, ESPN is going through a number of problems that we've discussed in, in previous episodes. Uh, their streaming business is losing money hand over fist. Their parks business is not doing as well. And their linear cable business which is still spitting out cash primarily from ESPN and people paying for the cable bundle for live sports. But that is in terminal decline. Like in 10 years, ESPN will be a completely different business than it is today. Everyone knows that. So ESPN kind of needs cash. So they're licensing out their name. So Penn Gaming is now paying ESPN a $1.5 over 10 years. So $150 million a year. So you can think that from Penn's point of view as a marketing expense. And if you actually tease it out, so they paid for Barstool 550 mil, and I think every year they lost close to 50 mil. So 700 mil, call it over three years, they're paying about 200 plus mil a year to own Barstool. And, and that basically, that money they're spending is not just going to ESPN. And, but ESPN Bet, which is the gambling app now, is going to have way more eyeballs because of how much eyeballs ESPN has, right? They're the number one thing. And part of the deal and why. Portnoy was able to buy Barstool back for 100%, 100 percent of the company for a dollar. Is that ESPN does not like Dave Portnoy? ESPN doesn't like Barstool. They had a TV show together like a decade ago, but it lasted one week because of speaking to the quote unquote controversial nature of Barstool. They'll say anything, right? So uh, Penn Gaming basically had a chance to partner with the biggest, the biggest animal in the game, uh, the sports space. And they're like, part of the uh, condition is like, okay, well, Barstool can't be involved because ESPN hates Barstool. And now that gives Davey Portnoy a ton of leverage. So people ask, like, why didn't Penn just sell Barstool to someone else? Well, it's because it's a, this is a talent business. What we're talking about is Dave Portnoy is, and his crew, like Big Cat. These are the guys you want, right? He could probably kind of watch that. He's like, I don't want to go to like, whatever, CBS or NBC. So that gave him leverage to get the company back. Blow you mentioned it is the other part of the deal was basically this is probably three parts on Penn side. And it looks awful from their end, except you can't the ESPN deal is too good not to do. But Penn gets 50% of any future sale. Dave Porter has already said, I'm not selling this company in the in the most hilarious uh, video. Second thing is they probably have uh, NDAs uh, uh, and non-competes on who he can partner with. I think gambling apps and websites are out the door, and those provided the highest value uh, advertising for Barstool. So again, Barstool as a business might be capped from upside based on whether they were with gaming and without it. And then the third part is, I don't think uh, Portnoy and Barstool could say anything negative about Penn, which is fair enough, right? So now that we actually have all the contours of the deal, it took a roundabout way. Let me throw it back to Jack. Is uh, uh, Jack, what do you think about uh, what we've talked about as media as a distribution and actually are there limits to it and what do you think moving forward will be the real winners with this kind of model sorry this is maybe not a direct answer but the one thing that i've always envied about media company like barstool is you have a constant influx of things to comment on if you are a sports media company there is a game happening in you know every city in the world at all times in perpetuity and you've just aligned yourself with the segment of the population that enjoys watching sport so in my mind that obviously sports betting is is maybe the highest margin sponsor that can come along with that but it still feels to me like a ridiculously massive opportunity to just the amount of things that that is connected to by way of you you tapping into a market that people already care about and having a voice that like overlays 
on top of that, I don't know, that to me is why news or, or, or having a way to take something that is already happening and add context to it is the most sustainable form of media business. They seem to have cracked that. You also seem to have a very unique, I don't think there's a number two to Barstool that comes to my mind. I'm not a huge consumer of that type of stuff, but they've like really made themselves a magnet for like the best comedy slash sports talent in the world. That moat seems huge. So yeah, I think giving up the the possibility of, you know, maybe slightly higher margin advertising business is not the best result. But at the same time, you could just go in so many different directions with this. And they have all this media out there testing sentiment on all these different things at all times. Like they incubated, uh, what's the woman's Call name who does Call Her Daddy? Oh, like, yeah. the guy just gets that stuff. And I think even incubating new media brands is probably going to be one of the the big, big upside plays where we're going to build this podcast up, use our distribution to get it massive, and then, you know, roll it into something else. Or Spotify is going to come and buy off it. I don't know. But I feel like they, they have just they understand how to make media that resonates which might not be the highest margin business but it is so resilient it's such a like it's such a robust especially if it's an internet native thing like espn is at the other end of that right where they've got they've kind of ran the course on the way they they uh the way they chose to approach that or they, they've kind of grown into this kind of immovable object at this point barstool is at the very beginning of that journey and just like took steps back from becoming the corporate behemoth that prevented them from doing certain things so yeah i think maybe the immediate cash upside is capped from that but it seems like way more anti-fragile now to me that's right and he owns 100 you you can't put a price on total freedom again mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and the things that i think yeah we'll we'll get tried launched failed whatever else under that mode of operation and leadership is is obviously uh difficult to predict what that will be but you can imagine much more of that spirit finds its way into the product in the same way we talked about the elon privatization of twitter means you can ship 50 features a week and if it takes the site down who gives a shit it's not going to wipe billions of dollars off the 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 chart the next day or the same day or whatever it is so yeah i mean it feels like mismatch of personalities right like the people who the skill set it takes to be the ceo of a public company is very different than the pirate they keep using the word pirate right that's the pirate ship yeah pirate ship i feel like this company structure is more aligned with the with how they operate and in my mind that can only lead to good things even if there's you know limits on some of the partnerships you can strike up this is going to be they they like wrote the playbook for a new style of media and i think that'll they'll keep doing that i mean you nailed it right uh spin checklets they released uh so the biggest hockey podcast in the world i've been on their podcast and i wrote about their product right you, you know this like it might not be a sports gambling app but they launched a oh, booze is huge too we didn't vodka, even talk about right? that yeah that that's so huge lemon, yeah, that's yeah, huge exactly uh, uh pink whitney was uh spin chicklets high brand. noon high noon they yeah. got a, a hundred, they got a million uh, other options. And actually, this touches on what we talked about the burgers, right? It's like stick to these things that don't need to be yeah. delivered fresh. Mm -hmm. like alcohol, consumables, and, and, and merch, if we're being honest, right? But like, I want to add one thing, Jack, to what you said about uh, this is more, way more consistent with who they are, right? Just give an idea. This was Dave Portnoy's first blog post the day after he bought back pen. I mean, Bob back Barso from Penn. He goes, I have an honest question. How fucking dumb are my idiot employees? I literally owned Barso again for less than 24 hours. They know I'm in town, and literally none of them have showed up to the office today before 10 a.m. This part put me in stitches. Okay, get ready, boys. I've been here since 8 a.m. because I'm old and don't sleep anymore and was reading all the news articles sucking my cock from buying Barstool back. <laughs> Dude! The day after, <laughs> he writes this. He literally said, but Jack, you said something about media. It's like, okay, maybe they're capped on like the sports gambling stuff, but they're so good at media, right? Yeah. So his that's initial a great, video, 
Yeah, that's a great go, point. Like take, the cap, the cap was a trade off of like what you can say and how outrageous you can be, which is oh, in a way capping your man. upside in a different sense, right? Like if you can't, if Dave Portnoy and company can't behave that way, there's only so much attention they're going to garner, right? So you can get more attention, but maybe you just can't monetize it as outrageously as sports betting, but the more freedom you have to create consistent with your instinct, shall we say, <laughs> the more opportunities you can create. Up, yeah. Because he showed clip. a clip of the, yeah. the office being empty, right? I saw that. Yeah, I put, the, no, put the blog post, but like, you know, like cross out the part where he says, suck my C. But I've been here since 8 a.m. reading articles about people sucking my C for five. Dude, I read that and tears started streaming down my eyes. I'm like, Jack, this is why you bought it back. This yeah, is Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, can I just add... One thing as well, Trunk, I mean, I don't know how much you guys follow the content, but realistically, has he been, it's not like he's been not being himself for the last few years, right? Like he's still been saying kind of what he wants. He was doing Davy Day Trader, basically like doing the most outrageous, potentially SEC violating. I mean, um, mean, he's been having a good time, don't get me wrong. And I think my summary on it is he's winning either way. I'm pretty sure, no? Yeah, he the did Day, day Trader Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't that. was that. during the pandemic. He would wake up, and it was incredible he content. He pulled a but... letter from a scrap oh, bag. insane, buying... stocks, don't, stocks only go up. Do you remember that line? <laughs> yeah, yeah, stocks only go up. Exactly. Yeah. And then he had this amazing video. He's in Florida, and uh, we got to find this. There's a storm happening in Florida, and he's day trading. He's like, David, day trader doesn't <laughs> stop for anything. And then he had this old rant about Warren Buffett. He's like, Warren Buffett, great career. But today, I am a better investor than Warren Buffett. Yeah, I mean, he did stop doing that, though. You know, I wonder I know. If, uh, where that came from. Yeah, but, yeah. But I the, think there, there was like a million people a day watching that shit or something. It, it was, was insane. insane the amount of, of attention that was getting. Yeah, it'd be fun to watch, see what they do. We're the hustle. Uh, just last point, Jack, is uh, well, um, the hustle when we did trends. We were David D. Traders. First advertising. Oh, yeah, I remember that. this. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's sick. <laughs> oh, dude. I do. Anyway, just that. advertising the stream. Is that what no, it was? It, advertise, it's brought to you by trends.com. And he had this random information. Go oh, to it was trends the other way the... around. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair play. Unbelievable, man. Oh, uh, smart. Those were very low quality subs for the startup community. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> you know, I, always, I also feel like the. I also feel like the. The scrappy advertising stuff or the comedy advertising stuff is is more interesting too. Like the type of what am I trying to think of? Like the comedian podcast, like the stuff they read out, just more entertaining. Like the type of partnerships you can do and get away with if you have like a satirical or comical element to oh, what yeah, you're doing definitely. is much is much broader. They can do, yeah, they can just do I'll, all I'll sorts of stupid shit. From, UVC style from stuff. And it's just, yeah, it's yeah. funny as hell. Where you're just like, all right, this is going to be funny content. But I guess to, to Trunk's point, though, it's, uh, yeah, it's the, probably not the best uh, like sign up quality for right, you guys right. as that. But it's like, it goes both ways. Like getting a boring old ad in a newsletter or like some boring business pod might have like high quality people on paper, but it's the most boring content in the but world. But they're not, they're not laughing like we did at poor noise blog exactly. posts. Like we got different senses of humor, people. Exactly. Well, uh, Trung, I'm just going to add one thing or kind of reiterate what you said earlier. I think it is kind of what you said about um, Mr. Beast, like the difference between Feastables and the Mr. Beast Burger. Like the difference here is like Penn aligned with this amazing, you know, content brand, you know, and they upselling and making uh the the betting stuff central to all their content there but at the end of the day like once someone uses the betting app i've never used like any of those really so i don't know how good or bad they are but ultimately it has to be like a good app it has to be like better than FanDuel or DraftKings. and whereas if you're just selling merch you're selling like a cheap alcohol brand with a new like happy dad or whatever it's kind of like a generic i mean they might not like me saying that but it's a generic kind of hard seltzer or whatever right so like that stuff, you can kind of just box up a little bit, package it up and, and sell it. Whereas 
when you're actually competing with like two, three other public companies, basically worth you know billions of dollars, I'm assuming that is uh, that's a different game. So you you like one part is the eyeballs, like you can have the best eyeballs and engagement, but then once they come to try the product, if it's not good or it's not like meeting their standards or like there's better offers, because I know in that world, like you get these crazy offers, like sign oh up God, for Fangio and you get. Exactly. Then will give you 500. It's exactly, the craziest exactly. shit in the world. So I think well, that's an interesting it. point. Yeah. Great analogy. So basically, the burger is like the betting app. Yeah. They're standard. <laughs> you know, there's there's just public, just like the burgers. When you got publicly listed companies, you got Mickey Dangles, and you got uh, you got BK. And uh, I think BK is part of a uh, Yum brand. Anyways, yeah, yeah. great analogy, dude. Whereas you can sell liquor, just like you can sell feastables. And not the dog or any of It's more of, of a things. commodity. It's more yeah. of a commodity, yeah. And it doesn't matter I... as much because, yeah. But, um, Shout but out to I will Pink say... Whitney. Oh, yeah, yeah. The other thing I was going to say, I will say from Portnoy's side, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was a massive, like, gambling person. Like, he, when the actual deal happened originally, it was seen as, like, the perfect deal. It's something I think he wanted for a long time as, like, a good exit for him or like a good partnership because he was never going to build a gambling thing himself like that level. So mm -hmm. it made a lot of sense, but it's, it is to your original question, an interesting idea around like, do we kind of over egg this thing about how important the content is? Cause I think we all appreciate how important content is as a whole, but are we also forgetting that big piece, which uh, I know Austin reef, our boy from uh, what's it called? Uh, Morning, Morning brew. brew. Just he, he, he posted something recently, which got me thinking about this as well. Where he said, over the next five years, every DTC business will have full-time content creators on staff. The best will be comp more than execs and drive more value than anyone else in the business. And like I saw a few replies to that. And it's kind of an interesting idea that like people always talk about like how important it is. And again, I'm obviously a massive fan of content to stand out. But I do think people sometimes realize that that is just like for a business owner or someone who runs those companies, that's like one channel for them. It's not necessarily this like all-star thing that this is the only thing that matters. There's like other things that have to be working, obviously the product being the main one. But um, but yeah, I think that's an interesting analogy there where like it can work for apparel and like merch and stuff like that. But for something like this more complicated, it's going to be a bit more difficult. Uh, last thought on this, that's such a great point. And uh, it kind of wraps up our journey with, you know, similar to our crypto journey. <laughs> The palm palms were out. Not to say that they're gone. Jack, Jack's Trunk's last week, as I said, more uh, never been more of a believer. But uh, you know, it's good that we can reassess ourselves, people. This is why people come to NIA for the laughs, for the Dave Portnoy blog post live reads, and for the reassessment of our original awful takes. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> well, anything else on that, boys? Before we. Talk about Jack's NFTs. I think NFTs. we should actually talk about the ESPN thing very briefly. Yeah, yeah. I think the ESP thing is super fascinating because, uh, so for just a recap, I don't want to make a mistake again of rambling in circles. Let me set the table quickly before my rant. Bob Iger, a longtime ESPN CEO, uh, left during COVID for two years, has returned. Uh, he's the one that acquired Pixar, Marvel, um, Star Wars, created this empire, right? And uh, Fox was his last big one. So you uh, of Disney though, right? And ESPN yeah, and Disney, is part of it. Yeah, yeah. And ESPN is part of the linear network, the ABC part of Disney. Uh, and the point I want to bring up is this: ESPN, Bob Iger said in 2019, we'll like, we'll never do gambling. So it, him doing this actually speaks to what we talked about the last couple weeks: the condition of Disney. So Disney's stock is down versus every other media stock and the broader market this year. And people are just worried, like, what? They're losing money hand over fist on streaming. The linear networks are going down. Uh, theme parks are the uh, are the absolute, like, rock right now. And um, the question is, okay, if ESPN is getting into gambling, A, they're many years late now. Uh, they missed the gold rush. Um, what does that say about the business, right? And uh, the, the only two thoughts I'd have here is, they they have, they have to spend ten billion to reacquire or over ten billion to pay for the rest of Hulu they don't own like they have to buy that, and they're probably looking at ways to dig up the money right now, and they're willing to sell um, twenty to thirty percent of ESPN essentially to uh, basically pay off debt and fund these uh, payments they need to make. So I just think ESPN's in a weird spot. 
Yeah, 100%. I will say quick plug here because uh, we were talking about gambling. Uh, I did actually have this, the founder of Fangio on Crayer Lab like some time ago, and he talked a lot about like how difficult the business is. The kind of headline there is he he sold the company for I think like five six hundred million and he made zero from it, which is a crazy. What? Wait, that yet Fangio? Yeah, yeah, Nigel Eccles, good Irish, uh, I think Northern whoa, Irish whoa, whoa, dude. Whoa. Okay, walk us through it. Walk us through no, it. Talk I, us well, no, I mean the the thing there was he sold the company just before all the laws changed. And um, so I think they had raised so much money, got to a massive scale. They pretty much invented that market from my understanding, like that style of it. Dwarfkins came second, uh, did an incredible job growing it, but then eventually had to sell. And I think they had raised so much money that the valuation of the last round was probably higher than the sale price or something, because it was worth like over a billion at one point. They sold it for less than that. And because of the liquidation stuff, he basically didn't make anything from it. So. It's, there's a lot more detail in, 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 that, in that interview, but just it's kind of a crazy industry. And I think when, because in the UK, it's been legal for ages. Like I used to use Betfair and all this stuff like at school, uh, like college. But then I think here, it's just been always been so informal. Like I literally had people at the bar being like being a bookie sort of vibe. And then eventually when this stuff opened up, it, it was supposed to be this massive gold rush. But I think it's been really difficult for a lot of them to compete because... It's really like the top one or two are now winning. Probably DraftKings, I'm assuming, is the number yeah. one. And then the others, I mean, they're spending so much money on acquiring customers, but I don't know how profitable they are, but I, I'm not like an expert in it. So, but yeah, very interesting. You should check that one out too. All right, boys, should we uh, move on to Jack's NFT business or is there anything else, Trung, on? Uh, did you just have something there? All right, Jack, what's been going on in NFT land, mate? I know you um, announced something with... The Proof Collective, I'm pretty sure, is that, that's been announced, right? Yeah, they do this thing. I think it's uh, every six months or so. Is this thing called Grails where they'll do 20, they basically commission 20 pieces of art and then their proof pass holders, I think there's about a thousand of them, can mint these 20 pieces before they know who worked on them. So it's basically put the art first, you know, have people decide what they want to collect before they know who made it. And then they do this very well-produced show where they reveal all the work. So I went out there, shot a little interview with them, and they did a really nice, uh, I think it was a two-hour live stream. I went through each piece, introduced each artist, and broke down all the process and thinking behind all the work. So it was good, fun to be involved in that. Are you able to share the, the one on screen? I'll share it, yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's a little nod. It's a little nod to uh, the uh, origins of EV, but the idea being that you know you, you can sort of it's an opportunity to depart from your traditional style because you're not leading with your name. It's a it's, an, it's a cool uh, format, different restriction than than uh, publishing work under your own name. So fun to be involved in, and I appreciate. Proof for having me involved. Sick. Very cool. Yeah, Dude, congrats, that, man. That's huge. That's big. That's big. It was fun. Um, all right. Anything else on that before we move on? We'll keep going, boys. All good. All right. Trung, you had this idea to talk about our boy George Mack gets mentioned at least once a month now. Maybe not every week, yeah, but George, maybe we, every we two to four weeks. Well, he's been we, on he's a roll. He's up his content game. When we talked about this. Yeah, he has, yeah. So... so Gone. Cheat up. Cheat up, brother. No, no. It was just this idea. He had a thread around having two phones, a kale phone and a cocaine phone. So much it kind of went viral. And then I think he was on Fox News He's or on something. Fox News. So funny. Yeah, he got just... picked up a bunch of media publications. It was just <laughs> so like. So good. And you, uh, Jack, have I you, have you read this? Have you I watched read it. Her? Yeah, yeah. I need to watch his segment. But yeah, I read the thread. Can, uh, blah, you want to do a quick tee up of what uh, the kale versus cocaine yeah, I think my understanding of it, and you can correct me, was uh, the Kale phone is the one that's kind of, well, let's start with the cocaine phone. That's the one we probably all got in our pockets where it's yeah. got everything <laughs> on it. It's got the dopamine hit of, of Twitter or X or Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff. It's got, you know, basically all the different all the apps. Messaging, all the messaging. Notifications banging off all day. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, that, and that's kind of what we all associate with. And now it's addictive and we're always on it. We're not really in control. And then the other type of thing he's saying it could be is a kale phone, which has just got stuff that is kind of good for the brain. 
reading apps, you know, Kindle, Audible, Note whatever. Taking. Note taking where you want to create stuff. Well, uh, he so said what, he has physically two has I two think he physically said he does, has yeah. two devices. Physical yeah. Funds. Looking well, the reason like a why trap I want to talk about it yeah. is because <laughs> I, I took on this thing. I became a trap star. Have I you tried, got two? I've tried it for uh, I've tried it for almost a month now. It is incredible. Oh wait, I, you, did I, you I, have two? What, the, what did you do? What did you do for the what? What phone do you have for the the KL All phone? All right, so let me break down. I read this thing no, from flip a book, phone George Mac. Yeah, just like well, here. So people are probably wondering. Okay. Let me just, let me, you know what? Let's talk about all the devil, kids, the devil advocate stuff. Cause you know, I wrote this article, I published it. And then, you know, the first thing people are going to ask is like, okay, well, you just use a dumb phone. Well, as George says, you want all the benefits, the upside of having a phone, like access to all the world's information, right? And like great note-taking apps. So that's why I don't, I wouldn't use a Nokia brick phone or even a Kindle because Kindle's note-taking and web browser are trash. So like, that's not the solution for me. There has to be something in between cocaine phone and Nokia brick phone, right? And this is the kill phone. So my kill phone, so I'll show the listeners, this is my normal phone. This is a 13 Pro, right? So that was a 13 Pro Max. Giant ass screen, beautiful everything, notifications popping up like crazy. And, and, and I can't focus. I literally, so what I've been finding over the past couple of years, I wonder if this is similar to you guys. Have you guys ever tried reading a Kindle book on your phone? Mm-hmm. I'll read one page, check Twitter. One page, go to yeah, YouTube. Yeah, you just switch like, over, yeah. You just can't, right? You're just so used to it. But ever since I started using the kill phone, I don't have it here, but I, it's an old iPhone 8 that my wife's been telling me to sell for years now, but I've just been too lazy to put on Craigslist. And there's never happened where, like, you promise your wife you'll sell something, but it's been so many years that now that if you've been listed, you're going to make, like, 10 bucks. I have, so, like, three phones right yeah. next to me right now. Yeah. And a laptop. There you go, right? Bro, so yeah. I took this old iPhone 8 and I literally just did George's thing. I only put Kindle on it, only put the Notes app. Uh, it has a, a it has a $100 annual talk and text plan, which I only give to my immediate family. And so that's for emergencies. And that's it. So now I have access to good note-taking and good browser, way better than Kindle. Emergency stuff, just in case. And now I'm on this phone. I'm putting like, since I started doing this, I read like four books in a month, which is unheard of. I haven't read four books in years. You know what I mean? I just sit there now and just not distracted by freaking Twitter. And it just, oh, it's where's just your like, other phone when this is going on? I just, just put it, it I just where many floors away in a completely different room. And, you know, there is literally like science and research. How many floors around you this. got, yeah, bro? <laughs> I'm, in, I'm, I'm in a townhouse. I'm there. in a townhouse. So it's a, it's yeah, a yeah. thin, it's a narrow townhouse with many floors. I love it. But, uh, I mean, there's literally research around this, right? I think a couple of uh, us uh, researchers from Penn, they basically said, if you have your smartphone- They're from Penn, sorry. Yeah, not, yeah, the, yeah, not the phone yeah, from yeah. before. Yeah. Uh, Warren, Warren Penn, yeah, yeah, yeah University yeah. of Pennsylvania. And they, uh, they, they said, if you just have the phone, so this is the experiment they did. The two groups that did cognitive tests. One group had the phone in their pocket. Another group had their phone just outside in another room. The group that had just it in their pocket like performed materially worse on these tests because I mean it's, it's not they're a like, shock, they're right? thinking they can get this to it. Yeah, anxiety. yeah, yeah. I, it's I just think like, that's for sure. The way they describe thing. it is it's called the gravity pull of your phone. Wow. It's, and, and all this is evolutionary, right? Nothing I'm going to say is going to be new to anyone, but let me like put it in a box to uh, around this conversation. The slot machine was designed after evolutionary traits, like. The reason why variable rewards and a variable reward is if you pull the slot arm, you don't know if you're going to win. That is actually better than if you knew when you were going to win, right? Because that curiosity evolutionarily is what gets us to keep like searching and finding stuff. Like if we weren't curious and we just knew something every single time, there's no motivation to do anything, right? But whereas the variable reward of the slot machine, which is one of the, in the history of capitalism, one of the greatest machines ever to extract money from people, like it's, it's not even close. 80% of Las Vegas revenue is from slot machines. Wow. Just to give you an idea, right? So like this machine, it's a devil. It's a devil in a box. And now we hold it in our hands because instead of the variable reward is, I check my phone, it's like, like how many times have you guys done this? You open your phone, you check your Gmail. Did anybody email me? Not that it matters. You check your Telegram, you check your WhatsApp, you, you check your notifications on Twitter. And then you go, oh, let me go to Drudge Report. Let, let me see what news happened. And since the last five minutes I checked, right? It's the same dynamic. It's a variable reward. 
So with that thing in your pocket, you're like, you're going up against the world's highest paid engineers, UX designers, and behavioral psychologists. And that's why when that thing's in your pocket, you're not performing a cognitive tasks. Thoughts? Yeah, that's amazing. What Rick Burton, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did Rick say? I forgot. He said he wants to he wants to meet the people that design the algorithms. Remember? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. He wants to knock on it. Stand remember? outside their house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like Elon knocking on Zuck's door, right? Oh, yeah, it's that's yeah, crazy. It's crazy. I mean, it's the, the crazy thing is everybody's so aware of it, but the um, yeah, like the fact that that George got the invite for the the mainstream the platform there is testament to the fact that this is uh, an issue, right? It's well, everybody resonates with everybody. I would love for you guys to try. Can we all try it? And like, I'll do it. I'm going to dig up an old phone. Yeah, I'll, try. I'll dig up yeah, an old phone I've got phone one today. probably over here as well. It's broken. I think what you guys will notice is that, and he mentions it in his post, he's like, you actually start craving. Because here's the reality. We all are addicted to our phones. We pick it up over 150 times a day. Spend, I mean, because I, I don't use my laptop. Uh, mostly I'm like on the phone nine hours a day, which is kind do of you do, do you do your writing on the phone, do you? A lot of writing on my phone, yeah. Wow. Mm. So, oh, that's I, my laptop's my problem. I can put my phone down, but then I'm on the Computer. I was going to say, enough, I right? feel like Jackers might be already bad. Jack, Jack, do you generally just keep your phone away somewhere? No. You're, you're no. on it a lot as well. All right. Too much. Too much. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 like when I really need to get something done, I'll put it away and, and do stuff. But the computer, I find, is, is tough too. Really? So much, okay. yeah, oh yeah. my god, so much. Uh, I'm good at leaving up. my laptop alone, to be fair. But... <laughs> I just go for long ass walks. Yeah, yeah, That's no, great. but it is a good no, thing. I'm gonna with try the phone. I'll try, I'll dig one up today. I'll try, but I'll try that. Okay, I got beautiful. A little so we'll come back to the somewhere. Oh my god, no, no, dude. Uh... I think you should go all the gold iPhone so you can, you, you want all the good stuff. That's okay, the uh, That's you just won't use it otherwise. Black yeah. Creek, yeah, yeah, get you us on BBM. That was the best time. But we'll, we'll try, and I will say to our boy George, I think what well, he did a great job here. Like you said, it's something that people already kind of know, but the way he framed it was really well done. And I also like that he didn't, what I think a lot of the mainstream kind of discussion around this is, is just one-sided around, it's evil, there's addiction on the phone. But like in his first line here, it says the smartphone paradox, your phone is the gateway to the world's best knowledge and the world's best distractions. He's like covering both. It's like yeah. having the best teacher's, strip clubs and social clubs in your pocket 24-7. Like, brilliant line, right? Dude, so George, that, I'm so happy you're writing, man. George, oh, I know man, you're listening. Incredible. I'm so happy you're yeah. writing again, dude. Yeah, he's killing it. Yeah, likewise. Um, but yeah, I think Wait, that's, that's the good thing. You're seeing both sides Let me ask Jack there. something. Based on what Bilal just said, I want to ask Jack something. Because I think, Bilal, you're headed down that road. How good is the naming of this problem and the solution? Because, Jack, I know you love putting good names to something. Very good, <laughs> man. I mean, that's the only reason they got on Fox News. I guess yeah. let's give it credit. I mean, obviously, it's incredibly well unpacked and described, but the title is all that matters, man. Very this good, is another yeah. uh, paradox, I guess, is the don't judge a book by its cover. Horrible advice. Terrible advice. <laughs> that's true. That's Design true. Design a better book cover, you know. That's, the, that's how you should rethink about that that idea but yeah that yeah it's, an, it's a great example of somebody who has something very practical to deliver but packaged it in such a way that made it intriguing accessible interesting a little bit like controversial just controversial enough you know like even if you called it like the chocolate phone and the kale phone no yeah that's the cocaine, <laughs> cocaine that's really that's what sent it yeah. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it is like uh, drawing out the comparison that this is like a m insane stimulant. Yeah, it is. It, it's a. It's not a healthy problem. habit to be picking up hundred and fifty times a day. If we <laughs> right. were using, yeah. <laughs> there we go. All right. So yeah, very yes, cool. Man. Very shout out very to George. Well we need to get him on. I know, Open invitation yeah, to him has been extended. Well, let's He's do this. Let's, uh, when you guys do it, let's get about a couple months. Let's bring them on. We've all had months to test it out. And we That's give a good honest point. Yeah, let's be do great. that. All right, George, so that will be our commitment to you. We will do your experiment, but you got to come come on the pod and talk about there it. There we go. But yeah, that, no, we'll have nothing it, to it, say, been man. We've been eating kale for the last yeah, three months. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, you Jack, that's where you're wrong. We'll have so much to say. We'll just be news. Philosophical debates. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's going to yeah. be all about Marcus Aurelius Homer. and, uh, and Homer. Homer. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to read the Odyssey. <laughs>
Brilliant, brilliant. All right, anything else on that? Oh, uh, the only thing I was going to say um, is, again, I think the Fox News guy had asked him something like, uh, why don't you just put the phone limits on it? And he was like, because everyone extends us. I will say, I definitely extend mine, but I'm I'm okay with being on social media. Like, I'm not, like, trying to cut off completely either. And I just have it set to 15 minutes for everything. So basically, every 15 minutes, there's this interruption to be like, yo, get the hell off TikTok, get the hell off TikTok. But it doesn't Twitter. work, bro. It no, does but, not work. But to me, my personal thing is, I'm not there trying to create, like, I'm not... Oh, so you actually do just bounce. Yeah, yeah, so I'm all right with it. But there are some times when I do extend it, but I'm kind of at least, it's just that friction is enough for me personally. But I do agree, it'll be good to to test it completely to have a separate phone. And and I will say even that nighttime, like just moving the phone to another room or like put it, I put it like across the room so I can't like reach it straight away. And that that sounds really sad, right? But like, it makes such a difference no, to dude, my sleep. Like, because you go check what time it is, and you're on the thing for ninety minutes. Yeah, so or you wake up in the middle of the night, and you're like, "Oh, I'm not sleeping. Let me just check. Oh, let me just check this." Or you get let like a buzz or something. Every piece yeah. of media that the world has ever created. And once you're in, and then that light hits that dome, and then you're yeah. you're you're awake, man. You can't be doing that. But yeah, the other this another like tie in with remote work on this. I feel like the 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 environment mm. and. Why I struggle with it particularly badly, I think, is because it's the same environment that I do my work in and drawing the distinction between when I'm working and when I'm just like dicking around is very hard to do. You know, it's like, am I reading this because it's going to be a part of something I'm going to produce very shortly or am I like down some rabbit hole that I shouldn't be down in the same way that like having a physical separation between where you work and where you live is a Lindy pattern, shall we say? That's been, uh, yeah. I know people will make the argument that there's a commercial real estate uh, incentives driving that change, but there is some thing interesting and real about going to a different place to do your work. It's the same. Now that you said that, I completely agree with you because I hate that. I love working at home. But I also just said, hey, having your physical phone separated from your your phone yeah, yeah, yeah. physically it's separated. This, this, this it's the, the equivalent for you, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. No, what I mean is, though, I would probably benefit, too, from not being my home all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. Exactly I mean, the convenience is incredible and depends on your personal situation, but it's also the bleeding of the two is the trade-off, right? It's like, yeah. you, oh, you pick up the phone, you can kind of, ju- well, I'm, um, I'm working right now versus, like, if you are out of the house for eight hours... There's more of a, uh, a a linear distinction in your mind between the the like oh I'm actually I've been to work and I'm coming home and I'm still working versus like oh I have the freedom to work whenever I want which means I fucking do it 19 hours a day <laughs> instead of eight yeah well actually and, and, they- and 18 of those hours are not really work productive they're not, yeah. they're not super productive well boys actually real quick last week the AMA episode we did there was literally one question we didn't get to which was this from andy marston and the funniest thing was that zoom just sent workers back to the office did you guys see that that was like a week ago but like just like the whole the whole curve the midway curve or whatever it's called that is literally it man like zoom the company that helps us all work from home has sent their employees back to the office that is pretty jokes i mean it's pretty funny in itself but um yeah what Trunk, do you have anything on that? Because you like working from home, right? But do you, is there anything where you're like, oh, I really wish I had an extra space to go and do work somewhere? I, I think uh, I think everything Jackson is applies to me where like, it all just bleeds together. I make excuses about when I'm productive. And then like, and then some days they won't even show up to the dinner table. They go, oh, I have to work, I have to work. But it's just not true. So I think, uh, I think again, there's a middle ground. I hate commuting so much. It's commuting... This is the worst thing in the history of mankind. Uh, I, if Ramp is listening to this, or boy, Ramp Capital, because I know he hates commuting more than anything. Like, oh, yeah. I'm with, yeah, Ramp hates commuting. He wrote an entire blog post about how commuting kills you. <laughs> like, I've like, got research. It's like, oh, researchers in, uh, in Finland have shown that for every mile that he has to commute, it takes like a day off your life or whatever, right? Um, I agree. Having said that, everything Jack said too, it's also not good. To always be like, oh, I'm working, oh, I'm working, it, it, it melts your brain. So um, and what I've noticed is like the, my particular trade, which is writing primarily, the best writers ever, they all have a place. I could be in their home, 
But like the ones I really love are the ones that have a sh- like I think uh, David McCullough, uh, he's a famous U.S. historian. He's dead now, but he had a shed, built a shed in his backyard. All I had was a typewriter, and that's all it is. And Bless. he just cranked off four hours of work. The other guy is uh, Taylor Sheridan. We've talked about Jack loves uh, Yellowstone. He built a writing shed in Wyoming. So you will love this, Jack. So Taylor Sheridan, uh, after the success of Yellowstone, all quite rich, but not stupid rich, but rich enough to buy one of the largest ranches in Texas. But to finance yeah, that, that's pretty good. he went to CB. Uh, so to finance it, he basically had to deliver five TV shows. So he's like, I want this ranch enough a hundred million dollar plus ranch. I'm going to cut these deals with CBS Paramount to make Yellowstone a cinematic universe. And then he's like, now to deliver on that, I need a shed in Wyoming where I can work 16 hours a day. Cause he writes almost by himself, which is insane. Wow. Yeah. He's an animal, but, uh, yeah, blah. Answer your question. I think I would benefit from more separation in my life. Uh, maybe the kale cocaine phone is the first step towards more separation. Mm. Next week. Yeah, I love it. You'll be coming to us from the shed. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jack, you're in your... You, yeah, you've been you're in your... I got a little right? separate space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are uh, you actually working from where it's just a pod you're doing? No, working. Yeah. Are you finding it makes a difference? It's good. It's good. It's good. You also, yeah, when, when uh, people are in the house all day too, it's like you sit... The thing that always... Um, I, I think this is all right to share. I didn't ask Celia about the uh, publicity on this, but like... Sometimes she's like, I'd rather you just get out of it than be here, like be sitting there like on your <laughs> oh, computer dude. and like yeah. not not doing whatever needs to be done. You're just in there. The kids are shouting at you. You're not even listening to them because you're like distracted by something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she's, and I, you know, at first I'm like, oh, she doesn't really mean that she'd rather I be literally out of the building, but she does. She's like, just get out, <laughs> just leave. And- and then the it feels, same. yeah, it feels like if, then if you kind of know where you both are, right, like, right. It's not like half checked in, not present. Exactly, exactly, man. It's kale or cocaine, baby. There we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Dude, That's they, beautiful. They, we just nailed it. It's the, it's the kale room or the cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Now we finally One got to a conclusion. Has a stripping pole in it, glass yeah. table, mirrors, <laughs> dollar bills everywhere. The oh man. Room, the other room just literally just has kill plans and maybe like I don't know, uh, dried beef jerky. Yeah, it's it's oh why men God. for hundreds of years have always had that den. To be honest, it's basically yeah. uh, the same thing. But uh, anyway, well, we're, now we're gonna need to get George to write part two of this, the extension from the phone to the workplace and to uh, to other places. So, uh, all right, cool. Uh, last last segment here. Good discussion, boys. Trunk, you want to talk about Arnold? Have, uh, yeah, I'm not I even saying his last name. Go for it. Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governator. The Austrian oak. So this is just a recommendation zone. I'm also going to be writing about Arnold's uh, career, film career, uh, on my next newsletter. So I'll, I'll bring up two things. People, go watch this three-part documentary about Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's uh, the three parts about his three main careers, bodybuilding, acting, and... Um, Politics. And uh, governor, yeah, governor of California. It covers everything, the good and the bad, right? He he fathered a a, a child with a, a one of his housemaids or housekeepers. But he discusses that. There's a sexual harassment scandals, right? In his government, uh, 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 the the governor election lead up covers that. Like very honest and very raw. But what I want to talk about, and I think I think uh, the reason I mentioned that is because this is like a really good documentary. It's just 360 about his life. It's the same people that did Define Ones, yeah? Yeah, about Dr. Dre and uh, and Jimmy Iovine. I, I see Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of the most impressive human beings we've ever had on this planet. Like, first of all, as a physical specimen, because now when you see bodybuilders, it, it's so clear that they're ruining, right? Like, Arnold did ruin, he even admits it. Oh, yeah. In the, in the documentary. But... Nowadays, it's absurd. It's like you look at these bodybuilders that are winning Mr. Olympia, they don't even look real, right? They, they look like Marvel characters. Arnold in the 70s it was like the greatest specimen. The, the, I, don't, I don't think, I would, I would argue to say that he is the greatest single male uh, physical specimen that we've ever had on this planet because he benefited from not too much steroids, uh, but a clean enough diet and, you know, 1970s, all the health changes. 
just the look of him. He won seven Mr. Olympias, three Mr. Universes. Uh, so that's that part of it. Blah, you saw the episode, right? Anything stand out from that bodybuilding episode? Yeah, just, well, it was really cool to see where he came from too. Just like that whole Austria. small village. Like it's just this beautiful place. Um, but he's in the middle of nowhere and just, yeah, he's, I remember him talking about he he couldn't even get access to much protein, so he would just smash cottage cheese, which is funny. We talk about the midwit curve coming back to cottage cheese right now. But yeah, he was just absolutely just stacked. And like he was so motivated. I also think it was interesting. Like he just knew from day one he was going to have to leave. And I to think go that to where though, specifically. To go to America because that was his. He has an amazing line from that movie, uh, from the documentary. Yeah. He goes, I was born in Austria, but made in America. Like, if, if he could run for U.S. president, which he can because he's not a naturalized citizen, or no, sorry, he wasn't born in the United States, although I think, I think you can go around those rules, this did feel like a campaign video, right? Like, he just talked about how much he loved America. He's like, I knew I had to go to America. And he did, right? And do you remember this part? Here's the crazy part about, he became a billionaire at the age of 25 from real estate investing. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, he was doing construction like, and real estate yeah, or something. Yeah, like this, this people don't Arnold, even know that. Like he was already were, rich. So I'll tell you what's fascinating. You guys will appreciate this. Uh, Blah, you might have remembered it. Actually, you didn't see the end of the second episode. He says the first half. So he quotes Edmund Hillary, Sir Edmund Hillary, who was the first person to climb Everest along with Tenzig Norgay. You got to shout out to Tenzig. A lot of a lot of Western media likes to forget about Tenzig Norgay, the Sherpa that took Edmund Hillary up there. By the way, Tenzig... Well, I don't know who any of these people are, to be honest, but... Do you don't know incredible. Tenzig Norgay? So no, the first I... two people that climbed Everest, yeah. Oh, got it, okay, okay. You, you know what, Rafa, can you do this, Rafa? Pull a picture of Tenzig Norgay. And the listeners, Google Tenzig Norgay. He has probably the greatest smile in the history of mankind, like in his... Infectious smile. Oh, yeah, I see him. Look at yeah. him. What a legend. Everyone, look, dude, if you Beautiful. go to Google Images, every image is him smiling. And this is the, this is the type of guy that climbs Everest, right? So uh, Arnold quotes Edmund Hillary, and he's speaking about his own career, how he was never satisfied. He's always moving to the next thing. And he, he, he has a great line in there. He's like, you know, I see a lot of people nowadays, they have all these feelings, and they, they wake up and say, oh, how do I feel today? Like, What's my mood? He's like, when you have like things to accomplish, you don't have time to think about that, right? And he's like, and for this guy, he just every step of the way, methodical. This is my goal. Here's how I'm going to get there. So he wrote this. This is a quote that he had from Edmund Hillary. So Edmund Hillary climbed Everest. And this is what Hillary said after climbing Everest. Well, on top of Everest, I looked across the valley towards the great peak of Makalu and mentally worked out a route about how it could be climbed. It showed me that even though I was standing on top of the world, it wasn't the end of everything. I was still looking beyond to other interesting challenges. So, like, that mentality is incredible. Like, Jack Butcher was not satisfied with Visualized Valley. <laughs> next thing, right? Move on. What's the next thing? You think Bilal is done with after a charity water? No, we're doing Creator Lab. We got this. It's always, I love this mentality of, like, and it's true, though, right? You can't, you don't have, to, like, do you think about old man in the uh, in the sixties and seventies during the Vietnam War was wondering about pronouns, right? It's like he had bigger things to deal with that day, right? Like this is what I mean. It's like I love how Arnold kind of touched on it. It's like society when all the Haslow uh, the Maslow's hierarchies are taken care of, you have time to waste about this thing is wasteful. He talks about over and over. It's like just do stuff. Figure out what you're trying to do and just fucking do it. So. The thing about his movie career, and I just want to emphasize how tactical and strategic he is about everything. And he is always thinking about moving to the next thing. So when he started his film career, it took him 12 years to have a breakout role. So 1970 was his first role. He's Hercules. And the crazy thing is, to give you an idea how how not a movie star he was in 1970, this age of 22, one of the biggest bodybuilders in the world, nobody in Hollywood cared about him. They named him in the movie, uh, starring he was Hercules, and called him Arnold Strong. That was his name. Nobody gave a shit about him. Twelve years later, he does Conan the Barbarian, his first big, big thing. His agent, Lou Pitt, and him have a strategy from this point on. Every single movie I do now, I will expand my audience by 10%. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to think, well, I'm going to pick up projects that has the opportunity to expand my, pro uh, my audience by 10%. Typically, what that means is uh, he wants to do more jokes in films. So Commando... If you guys have ever seen Commando, one-liners everywhere. 
Like he kills a guy in an airplane, and when the stewardess comes by, he goes, "Sorry, my friend's dead, uh, dead tired." Like he just drops all these one-liners, right? So starts adding comedy in films uh, or, or one-liners. The next film he does, uh, next big film does is Predator. He leads a team. It's in a jungle, an uh, exotic location. Expand the audience. But then in 1988, and this is the crux of my story and the reason I want to bring it up, is speaking to how he's always moving along. So if I were to ask you guys, what do you think the most money Arnold ever made on one film is? How much? No, the, what film was Which it where one? he made the most uh, money? You would say Terminator, but it's yeah, not, right? But, it's like Daddy it's, Daycare or some it's shit. It's that one with the, the kid. Or, yeah, with, what yeah, was King it? Kindergarten Cop. Kindergarten Cop. No, yeah. you nailed it. It's actually the movie Twins. Twins, like, you, that's you what I'm right. thinking it's of. It's comedy. So this is the point. No one wanted Arnold to be a comedic actor, right? He's like, dude, you're the biggest action star in the world. Like, why do you want to do comedy? It's because only under 30 males were watching his films. He's like, I'm leaving half the world's audience not caring about me a, a, as an artist, which is great. He's thinking about this. So he but goes. Troy, to, I must I, just really quickly say, when I said a kid, I, I was in my head. I had Danny DeVito in my head, and I yeah, called him a kid because a kid. I meant the little guy. But you yeah, mean gone. the uh, <laughs> short comedian? Yeah. But gone, so, yeah. But what, so what do you, uh, first of all, what do you guys think about this idea of like um, how strategic is expanding your audience by ten percent? Have you ever, for, have you guys ever thought about that? It's like, you know, you have a little bit of success, and you're like, what can I do to like maybe open it a bit up more, right? You know, we all talk about niche is great, but you know, if you have a bit of success. Well, I, think I think most people resist that because they they try and like I don't know. Stasis. I think the, the common excuse is like you don't you don't want to compromise your art or you don't want to you know this is the kind of thing I make or this is the kind of person that enjoys my stuff and it is I think for anybody that produces something maybe it is the is less common for you to think about changing the product to get more people to care. It's more about like, get more people to care about the thing I'm already doing, which right. is in many cases is like, that reaches its natural conclusion pretty quickly, right? The the emphasis or the, the thing that moves the needle is you making things that speak to different types of people. Um, so yeah, I think it's like very shrewd, but it's also, it did feel like it comes from I don't know. All that stuff felt like it was still, he was still having a good time doing it, right? It wasn't like he was compromising to do right. it. Like the like all of the one-liners and the funny stuff it like kind of became his brand over time. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's, a lot of people would benefit from thinking that way, but I think it's a very rare and unnatural way to think, hence why this guy was able to accomplish so many ridiculously disparate things in his career. I think your point is the inertia, right? People don't want change. It's like, and, and, and what I will say is in a lot of situations, maybe it's fine just to saturate your market. In a lot of situations, it, it is. So actually, I'd love to ask you specifically about, I mean, you have built audiences in different realms. Now that we're talking about Arnold and conquering and into different worlds, how do you see any of that applying to how you kind of gone from, you know, primarily design to now uh, crypto? It's. I mean, I think... I I definitely could do with a bit more of that mentality at times where you have validation for something that you sometimes mistake for you only have permission to keep doing what you're doing when what it's really doing is like getting you this little overlap into a new world that you could start to think about. Like people have asked me, the most obvious example that comes to mind is like do stuff for kids, like go a little bit more, you know, simple and yeah, dial down the cleverness of some of this stuff and, you know, make things that would be helpful or interesting, useful to a parent and a kid. It's like, I have loads of ideas how to do that, but I'm like, ah, does that taint the, you know, visualized value kids? Does that become like a, and it's not, it's a great, it would be an awesome project. And I think the people who have supported the main thing would be very excited to see that. But I am, able to talk myself out of it or say yeah to myself is that the best use of my focus resources whatever else and that's the arnold thing i haven't even watched this film but i think what's even more impressive is doing it by yourself or like he is the asset in that scenario right like he's showing up to the set shooting the film then he's campaigning as a politician he's going to the gym three times a day it's not like you know to use an example from this episode portnoy 
who has an insane work rate, but you cannot physically accomplish barstool sports in the way that it grew without the other faces Talent. that represent the brands and show up and make the content and stuff. What's so impressive about, yeah, Arnold is that obviously there are people around you, but you've built it all around yourself. It's, and that's, it's crazy. It's insane. Wild. Yeah, here's the brand still. You're right, yeah. I mean, he's so fucking impressive, man. I can't get over how impressive this guy is. So, so, so Logan Paul. I mean, honestly, it's like this, that's both. like the modern equivalent, right? I'm trying to think of or Mr. Beast or something, but they're not, they're not out in all these different directions. But I saw that video of him doing uh, wrestling the other day. Have you seen that? Yeah, oh, it's wild. insane. He's absolutely so mental, physically yeah. talented, just insane. So there are people in that in that realm, I guess, and I think some of these guys have political aspirations too. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if there's some deep inspiration being taken from the career of. Arnold, Arnold probably. 100%. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Well, so, like, let me get back to 19, super quickly, 1988, and you guys will appreciate this. And it's a great lesson for everyone. It's like, he wanted to make a comedy. And so he teamed up with Ivan Reitman, comedy legend, who unfortunately passed away last year, and Danny DeVito, one of the biggest comedians, or television comedians at the time, the show Taxi. He goes to the studio. He's like, here, three of us want to make a comedy. And they're like, yeah. Like, we don't really see it. We don't really see it, Arnold. Like, it's a funny concept. Like, you don't look anything like Danny DeVito and your twins, quote-unquote. So Arnold's like, okay, here's the thing. It's like, you us you, de-risk it for you. We'll take zero salary. So none of us will take any salary, all back-end. So instead of this film costing you 60 mil at our market rates, you can make it for 20 mil. Uh, but we want points. So they, the three of them, split 37.5% back-end merch DVDs uh, home video DVDs. And I, I don't have to tell you guys what happened. The movie made $220 million, uh international. Arnold, inflation adjusted, made $100 million on this movie. And I think the big takeaway I want to take from is A, Jack kind of brought up, is like, there's this idea of inertia, right? And you see these people that accomplish so many things, like, they just, they, I don't, I don't, I don't think Arnold for a second even thought, oh, I, I'm stuck in my thing. So he's like, okay, what's the next thing? How do I do it? Right? That mentality is, Incredible. It's very difficult to have for sure, but he clearly had it. And the idea that we also talk about creativity and money. We talked about it with Bloomhouse Productions. It's like that's it, right? Do you take more money from someone? You're losing creative control. Like you take the less money you take, the more creative control you have. And uh, this can be for start. We see it with VCs, right? It's like when Masayoshi someone went to Adam Newman for WeWork, which looks like it may no longer be a current concern. He's like, okay, you have Adam Newman had a decent business. But then Masayoshi song gave him $10 billion. Completely changes what they're going to do, right? Buys an indoor pool and all this crazy and makes a little, we talk about kids, makes a freaking kindergarten school, right? So, um, yeah, I just, Arnold, I, I would highly recommend people to watch this documentary. I think it was incredibly well done. And I think he's one of the most impressive human beings that we've ever had. Flaws, positives, the whole night. Yeah. Respect. I'll watch it. I will too. Yeah, I've watched one and a half episodes uh, on the plane and I'll watch the second half for sure. Uh, beautifully put, Trunk. Thanks for summarizing that, mate. Anything else, boys, before we wrap it up? Oh, that was a great, was great app, boys. boys. Good app great in the app. end. Yeah, beautiful. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We'll see you guys next week. Cheers.